0: My name's Lauren Castillo and I'm going to be talking about Nan in the City today. Nan in the City is published by Clarion Books, Houghton Mifflin.
1: Welcome to The Yarn, a School Library Journal Production. I'm Travis Yonker. In July, I interviewed author illustrator Lauren Castillo in an unexpected Lauren place, Castillo here in a high school classroom in Western High School. Michigan. I'm at Nerd Camp. Lauren and I talked about a bunch of things. The real-life people that inspired Nana in the City, how creating the book was different than other books she's made, and what it was like getting the call from the Caldecott Committee. This is the latest installment in our series called The Unraveler. In each episode, a book creator will take you inside one of their books. Your inspiration, fears, frustrations, epiphanies, the whole thing pulled apart. It's time to unravel Nana in the City.
0: So I had been living in New York City for about 10 years at the time, and I had gone to to move to New York for grad school, and um, I was living there, you know, drawing the city, very inspired by the city, and I knew I wanted to do a book about the city. Um, and I had I had spent a weekend with my grandparents who lived just outside of New York City. I was remembering, I woke up one morning, I was sort of remembering, you know, the times, the summer trips that we used to take. I, I lived in Maryland growing up, and we would drive um, to New York to spend some summer weeks with my grandmother and my grandfather, and they would take us into the city, and that was really the first time that I experienced a large, you know, metropolitan area. So one morning, like I woke up and I had just spent the the weekend with my grandparents, and I was just thinking about um, how it was as a kid to to experience the city. And I thought, well, this could make for a good a good story, you know, a grandparent-grandchild relationship. The dedication is to um, three women: um, who is my my nanny? Um, I call her nanny, not nana. Francis Foster, who is my editor, Francis was about my grandmother's age, and she had an apartment in the city and she was very much like my city grandmother and uh, my great aunt Virginia, who is now 102, and is like this amazing, like, jack of all trades woman and um, still, you know, thriving in just, she's in Queens, actually, so she's, she's kind of in the city. So the dedication uh, was to those three women because I think they together kind of created the character of Nana, and visually, Nana looks like my own grandmother. Personality-wise, it's kind of a combination of the three. I always tell people like I mean, I haven't written a lot of books yet, but this has certainly been by far the the easiest book um to work on because it was that that morning that I woke up with that idea about this New York story could be about this grandmother-grandson relationship. And I didn't know it was grandmother and grandson at the time. But in that morning, like, I just took out my sketchbook and jotted down, you know, what ended up being close to the final text of the book. And, you know, it's a very minimal text, the book. I don't know how many words it is, but it's very, very minimal. And yeah, I just, I just sat down um, and sort of wrote it as a poem. Um, there were no drawings first, which was very unusual for me. And I was like, huh you know i i like it just felt right and it, it 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 felt like it was a complete story and that is, hasn't happened since and it hadn't happened before that um so it just kind of all came together and i sent it i think that day or the day after to my agent like with the idea and just just the text and he's like yep i like it you know put a dummy together and we'll send it off like it was it was just sort of that that simple and so I you know I put sketches together and there were I think there are a couple spreads like visually that changed in the book but I think it was like three words that changed which is really you know kind of crazy thinking back on that um I don't know if that'll ever ever happen again in my career if I'll ever be that lucky <laughs> Better at being patient <laughs> uh, and realizing that I can't. When it comes to writing my own stories, um, it's it's not often that an idea is going to come full form, and that I need to just keep a journal and jot down things as I think of them, and not force any any you know any anything um, any writing just. Kind of free form um and and then give let there be breaks in between and then re- revisit an idea um, whenever it seems like a good time to revisit it just just wrapped up a i guess a a dummy idea for a character that I had developed um, two and a half years ago that I knew I wanted a story about. Oh, and that's never really happened before, where where the character, you know, the drawn character comes first. Um, And so I knew that I wanted to write a story about this character, and there were so many different directions I could go in, but I needed to sit with the character for as long as it took, and so now, you know, P.S. two and a half years later, um, finally feels like I have her story, and uh, so that definitely took patience. And and in between, you know, I I really enjoy illustrating texts by other authors. So um, that preoccupies me. You know, I'm, I'm working on that. You know, illustrating a story by somebody else, and then I can, you know, take a day, you know, one day of the week, and spend some time with my own ideas. I think that's the hardest thing for me is just allowing myself the time to let things simmer. I do draw uh, very small. I draw, I would say, hmm, like 40 to 50% in size to what you're seeing in the printed book. Maybe sometimes even smaller, um, 20, 30%. Um, But I will draw my ink drawings small, uh, final art, then scan them in and use, and enlarge them in Photoshop and add some handmade textures here and there to get that sort of grainy line that you see in my work and often the grainy line comes with enlarging enlarging a sketch or enlarging a drawing. Um, I scan it at a high resolution so that it can be printed onto my Arches watercolor paper. I have a um, an Epson uh, printer that prints um, that will take thick watercolor paper and I will print my, my black line or brown line whatever I happen to be working in. For Nana it was black. I will print it at Usually between eighty percent and and one hundred percent of the book size, I will so I will enlarge it, enlarge my drawing, print it out on the watercolor paper, and then I um and then I can paint. And what I like about that is I'm able to be really, you know, loose with my watercolor and and marker and sometimes acrylic. Like I I sort of mix and match uh, with with materials I'm not very strict with like you know ink and watercolor it can be it can be whatever I need on the desk that you know makes sense like sometimes graphite or but uh, but the nice thing about printing it is that because it's saved on my computer if I do make a mistake I can I can ditch it and print another one and you know work until I get it right and that was the first time that I worked that way was for nana in the city I remember um, my brother had just moved into his place in LA and I was staying with him that Sunday before the awards were announced on a Monday. It was like the Super Bowl was on that night, I think. And I remember like sketching in my sketch sketchbook or whatever. And I, I knew that the conference was going on. Um, I think it was in Chicago, uh, midwinter at the time. I thought about it a little bit um, just because for the first time, because I was more present on social media, so there were some teachers that were were doing um, teachers and libra- librarians that were doing like mock Caldecots, and my book was mentioned here and there, which you know was already like sort of a shocker to me um, <laughs> to like hear that of um, you know kids were discussing the book. But anyway, so I knew the conference was going on, and you know, but was preoccupied with like helping my brother move to LA. So went to bed, and at I believe it was like four fifteen. It was like 4.30. In the morning, I got a call. My phone was on silent, but it was vibrating, and it said unknown, and I was like, what is this? Like, you know, I just, and so I sort of panicked, but was half asleep and answered it, and I can't remember anything that I said, except for, you know, thank you a lot, and then, um, have a nice day. <laughs> um, that was my response to the Caldecott Committee's uh, phone call to me. I was allowed to call my editor and my agent. So I talked to them and then woke my brother up. I woke him up. I was like, so. <laughs> and he's like, you know, he sort of was like, oh my gosh, that's, um, that's awesome. Do you mind if I go back to sleep now? <laughs> um, so yeah, so then we, you know, we watched, we had a fun time watching the, the press announcement and then we went, to, um, we went hiking in LA. And it was a very, very nice, fun day. (laughs) And very surreal. (laughs) And um, then things changed a lot.
1: Thank you, Lauren Castillo, for the interview. Thank you, Philip C. Stead, for our theme music. Additional music for this episode from Andanon and Nangdu from the Free Music Archive. You can contact us via email at theyarnpodcast at gmail.com. Next time on The Yarn, author Alex Gino will unravel his book, George.